pray with me, please? Let's pray a moment. God, we thank you so much, and I've just been so moved twice today by a song. We started by talking about it's your perfect love that woos us and draws us to you. We're awed by grace and drawn to you. And Lord, I, I don't know where everybody's at today in this room, but what I do pray is that they would sense that you love them, you want to know them. As we talk today, that you want them to be able to live out the potential that you dreamed when you formed them in their mother's womb. God, I pray that we would receive that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, please. That'd be awesome. And uh, I don't mean to be like the weather guy here, but, you know, it, summer's here, right? We felt that this week, and for those of you who were just dying to know after last week when I was kind of real mopey, uh, we did get rain this week, okay? But it's just hard to remember it, you know, because it got so hot right after that. It's hard to remember that that actually happened. Uh, so last week, we began this series that we're calling It's a Guy Thing, and just know that right up front, we're just saying this is a series for guys, by guys about a guy from the Old Testament named Samson, okay? So that's kind of where we're going, what we're talking about. And I just want to say unapologetically today that I'm primarily talking to guys today. But we also said last week that because the Bible is God's word and it never returns void, that it also speaks to every one of us, no matter what our gender. And so I think that you'll all be able to find something that uh, whether you're a guy or a gal, I'm just confident that God's going to speak to you today. Uh, last week, we introduced uh, the series with a really fun video talking about rules for guys. And I want to draw your attention to the screens now. We're going to look at rule number nine today. For centuries, dogs have been used for hunting. They triumphantly track down your prey and return it in a clenched jaw with a sense of pride. I'm not saying that all men have to be hunters to own a canine, but man must remain faithful to the spirit of man's best friend. Your dog is a vigorous companion, not a toy. In order to be a true man, your dog must be bigger than a toaster. If that isn't clear enough, you must be able to play frisbee with your furry friend. It also can't cower at the sight of squirrels. And most importantly, your dog should not be able to fit in a bag. The only exception to this rule is if your name is Arnold Schwarzenegger and you're the guy from True Lies. You are exempt because you have rode a motorcycle through a shopping mall and leapt onto a flying helicopter. To women, this may not make much sense. You say, a dog is a dog, but it's a guy thing. All right, all right, all right. So I told this first service that, you know, that I, I'm a little embarrassed today to, to admit this because, see, I, my dad, when I grew up, uh, that he made it really clear that, you know, that guys and poodles don't go together, okay? Just really clear. And, and, I, and I know he's just flipping over in his grave right now because in my home is a poodle right now, okay? So <laughs> it's unfortunate, but that's true. Uh, that we actually rescued a poodle, but you know, I just have to redeem myself a little bit. It's not one of those little tiny things. It's a big standard guy, uh, and his name is Dre, and so we've invited him into our home to live, uh, even though he's a pain, uh, but <laughs> so I have a poodle, so there you go. So that just tells you a little bit about me. So uh, last week, 
uh, we started this series. So why don't you go ahead and pull out your notes. They look like this. It's a guy thing on the front, and you're going to be able to take notes today. All the Bible verses I'll use will be here. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, though, and turn to Judges 14. So we have Genesis, Exodus, and then we have um, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges. Okay, so we got, that's where it would be in your Bible. And so right after Joshua, you find there Joshua 14. We're going to be, I told you I was going to cover 14 and 15 today. That's just a bit much, okay? I found out as I dug into this, and so we're going to mainly look in 14 today, and then I'll be letting you read some more on your own. But I just want to help you, because some of you weren't here last week, just to kind of understand why we're having this four-week series on the life of Samson we're calling a guy thing. So here we go. We have the nation of Israel. Um, They have now settled in the promised land, and Joshua has died, and Joshua's generation has died. And then what happens is, is the people turned against God. They turned against God and they started embracing the foreign gods in the land. And uh, in fact, if you really want to know what it was like, uh, throughout the book of Judges, two different times, it it gives this condemning accusation about the people of Israel. And here's what it says. It says this, they did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. That's, this was kind of the cultural value that God's people were living by during this time. They did what was right in their own eyes. And because of that, what God would do is he would allow them, God's a God that gives us freedom, and he would allow them to do what was right in their own eyes, even though it went against his will. And then it would reach a certain point when he would say, that's enough. And then he would send in you know, some marauding neighbors, and they would come in, and they would you know, either, you know, take them captive in some way. They would rob their farms. They would know, tax them, do certain things that would cause them grief. And then the people would cry out to God, God, come to us, God, save us. And then God, in this era, he would raise up a judge. And the judge's purpose was to deliver the nation of Israel from their enemies. So that's the purpose of a judge. And we have several judges in this book that's talked about. Samson's actually the last judge in the series. So we just see this played out over and over again. So what we learned last week as we started talking about Samson is that Samson was born a man with great potential. Born a man of great potential. Now, I don't think when I talk to many guys, and the guys I meet, we talk about that many guys realize this, that they are born with great potential. Many guys, they think that God is mad at them. And they feel like that maybe they were living by the maxim of Israel. They were doing right, what, doing what was right in their own eyes. And they feel that God is somehow mad at them. Or they feel that God is disgusted with them. Because they know the things they've done, and they know what God's standards are for holiness and righteousness, so God, therefore, must be disgusted with them. Or they think that God is disappointed in them, that they knew they had this potential, and that somehow that they've not lived up to that potential, and they've let God down, and that God is disappointed in them in some way. And what I want to say to you today is this. God sees amazing potential in every man in this room. God sees amazing potential in every man in this room. There is so much potential for supernatural greatness in you, in us. Because God is a God who loves us and a God of grace who empowers us. And when we can accept that 
and we can live with that truth, you know, just captivating our thoughts and every part of us and our actions come out of that, then I believe, guys, that we can make a great difference in our families, in our workplaces, in our community, ultimately in the world. See, a lot gets right in our world when guys live up to their God-given potential. A lot gets right when guys do that. So last week we learned about Samson's potential for supernatural greatness. I'm going to read these verses from uh, Judges 13, 3 through 5. It says this, The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So just heads up, that's the enemy that's in the land right now is the Philistines. We're going to be talking about them. But Mark shared, shared three ways last week that Samson had great potential. And the first one was this. You want to write this on your notes. He had a great calling. He had a great calling. And his calling was to be a Nazarite. And if you want to read about this, you can go to Numbers chapter 6. And you can read about the Nazarite vow. And in the Nazarite vow, there were three things that a person had agreed to. One is that they would never eat or drink anything from a grapevine. That was the first one. Never eat or drink anything from a grapevine. Number two, that they would never touch anything dead. And then number three, that they would never cut their hair. And so basically, the calling was this. This is what the Nazarite vow meant. You were set apart for God's exclusive use and his glory. You were set apart for his exclusive use and to bring him glory. So that's his calling. Then he had a mission. And his mission was, he had a great mission, and the mission was to be a judge. And, you know, just to clear that up a little bit, when I say the word judge, most of us, we think of a person who sits, uh, you know, behind this platform, has a gavel in his or her hand, and they pound it down, and they say, I declare judgment in some way. But that's not what a judge was in this day. A judge was a deliverer. God would raise up a judge, and the judge would deliver his people from the marauding neighbors and those in the land. And then number three, he was given great strength. He was the first ever bodybuilder, okay? So he was a man of awesome, muscular, stamina, and brawn. He was a man's man, kind of like me, you know, kind of like a man's man. <laughs> Uh, you don't think so? Okay. Okay, here we go. So let's read these next verses. It talks about what happened when he was born. John read this earlier. When her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit, now this is key, the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. The spirit of the Lord began to move and stir in him. See, of all the judges chosen by God, Samson probably had the greatest potential because of the supernatural strength that he had been given. But unfortunately, with this supernatural strength, I would call it external strength, Samson also had a tragically weak character. Tragically weak insides. So I'm going to give you the, the, the bottom line here. You want to write this in. The bottom line of our talk today is this. Great strength will always be thwarted by weak character. Great strength will always be thwarted by weak character, and we're going to see that in Samson today as we go through his story. Great strength will always be thwarted by weak character. Now, Samson was an incredibly strong man, but as we're going to see today, he had a 
dangerously weak will or character. And, you know, as we're going to learn next week, as we look at Father's Day and we take out uh, some learnings from Samson's parents, Samson was dedicated by his parents to serve God's purposes and deliver the nation of Israel. But as far as we can see, we have four chapters here that we can glean about Samson's life. As far as we can see, even with all of this strength, all of this potential, all of this blessing, Samson never pursued a vibrant personal relationship with God himself. He never did. Even though he was dedicated to God, to serve God, the tragic thing is he never fully surrendered himself to God. He never fully surrendered. And this led to his downfall. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through some verses in Judges 14. I'm going to end with the end of Judges 15. And we're going to look today at some attitudes that led to Samson's downfall that I believe can lead to your downfall, Guy. Guy with great potential. You can learn from Samson today. First is this. Attitude is, I want it. I want it. And this is you know, basically lust. So you want to write down lust. I want it, lust. Whatever I want, I will get because I'm not going to control my lust. Now, we know lust, even though we're going to look at this, it was lust after women, that lust is much broader than this. And uh, it's an overwhelming craving or desire. That's what lust is, an overwhelming craving or desire. I see it, I want it. And I'm overwhelmed by that craving and desire. Now, this is, such, this is amazing in our culture today. This is a driving force of our culture today because people are saying this, because I want it, it's right. That's a cultural value right now. Because I want it, it's right. Right, And what we're going to look today, we're going to see from Samson, because I want it, it may be wrong. It may be wrong. And so I just want you to hear that today, because we all live in culture, we're all part of culture, and we're being drawn to the same values that where someone would say, because I want this, I'm right. We need to know that God says, because you want it, you may be wrong. And it may be something that you get to deal with, guys, in your life as well. So Samson's lust got him in serious trouble. Okay, let's read about that. Verses 1 and 2. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eyes. So he's down, you know, he's gone from where he was living. And he's now, you know, going into the area of the Philistines. And so a woman caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his mother and father, A young woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. <laughs> So Samson sees this woman, and he wants to marry her. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the old Doors song, for those of you who have come from that era. Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? Okay, so that's kind of it. Hello, I love you. Now, let's get acquainted. But this is a huge struggle for most guys. We're in the same place. And it was a huge weakness for Samson. I heard Samson described this way. Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness, okay? So that's what, he was, that's what it was all about. Well, his dad... And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. His dad tried to talk some sense into Samson by saying, Son, that woman is a Philistine. She is part of the ruthless enemies that you are here to deliver us from. She worshiped pagans, pagan idols. Those people sacrificed children to their so-called gods. They mocked the one true God, the Lord. I've got to stand up and say, no way. And we're going to talk about Samson's dad next week. And he stood up and he said, no way. And Samson stands up 
powers up with his strength and he says something like this. Listen, old man, I don't care what you say. I don't care what God says. I saw her. She's hot. I've got to have her. I want her. Get her for me. Get her for me. And so Samson's parents had to acquiesce to his power, his physical strength, and it goes on. Now the story continues. So as they went to Timnah, they agreed to do this. So they're going down to Timnah now to get her to marry Samson. And on the way, Samson, I don't know what Samson's thinking, but he's like, this is going too slow. I see something over here. So he's, he's going over. I want something else. So he turns to the side and it says he went into a vineyard, goes into a vineyard. What grows in vineyards? Grapes. What was Samson not allowed to have? Anything that came. Well, what's he, what's he turning aside for? Once again, I want it. And he's going after it. And so he does that. And so on the way to, on the, way to the vineyard, it says a lion attacked him. And uh, the, it, I know, verse 6 isn't on your notes, but I want to read it to you. This is what it says in verse 6 as the lion attacks him. The Spirit of the Lord. Notice that several times you read through Judges, it talks about the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. So he turned aside. He went into a place where he shouldn't be with vineyards there with grapes and, um, and raisins and where wine could be produced. So he's violating his Nazarite vow, but he keeps it a secret. So that's one of the things that guys do that leads to their downfall is they keep their things secret. They don't let others see or others know. And that led to his downfall. Lust of the flesh started his downfall. So guys, we need to hear this. The I want it attitude of lust will lead to your downfall unless you curb it and allow God to transform it and to change it. Okay, there's a second attitude though that Samson had, and it's this. I deserve it. I want it. I deserve it. Second attitude, and this is entitlement. I deserve this because I'm entitled to have it. Now, entitlement is what? It's I believe I have the right to something. So if it's right, I want it. And so if I want it, it's right. So kind of I'm entitled to do this in some way. So let's look at what it says in verses 8 and 9. So later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, so he's going back now for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. I'm just going, I've seen dead deer on the side of the road. And flies, and they start stinking, and it's gross. And now you're going to go to where there's this dead lion that's stinky and gross, and you're going to look inside the head to see what's there. And then as you look inside the head, you're going, oh, there's honey. Mm, ah, I'm going to eat me some honey out of this dead lion that stinks and is gross. It's kind of what's happening right here. He scooped up some of the honey into his hands, and he ate it along the way. He also gave, <laughs> he also gave some to his father and mother. This was not nice. And they ate it as well. But he didn't tell them, once again, he had taken honey from the carcass of the lion. So once again, he's not telling them that he's now violated his second vow, the Nazarite vow, not to touch any dead thing. He's violated the second vow. And it says that he turned aside, he saw it, he thought, I want this, and I killed this lion, and I deserve this. I'm going to have me some honey. And so he pulled and stuck his hand in there, and he pulled it out. Now, remember this. Okay, think of it. The first time... 
He went through the country, and, and then he went into the vineyard, so he violated his vow. The second time, he's now touching what was dead, and he violated his vow. Uh, but his desires took him over completely, and he said, I want it. I deserve it. I am entitled to this. Now, I'm just going to get you know, just real honest here. Who do you think is giving him these messages? Is this God speaking to him? No, no. Who gives us messages like this? The, the devil, the Satan does this. I, you must want this. You, oh, just think what it would be like if you had this. And look, other people have this same thing. Oh, my gosh. They could, everything's going okay. You deserve this. Look at what you, you know, a person you are. And so Satan comes and speaks to us. And that leads us to the third attitude because this is really the source of all of his downfall. And it's this. I can handle it. I can handle it. It's pride. I can handle it. Pride. Pride, arrogance, cockiness. Uh, I would say this is really Samson's most destructive attitude. You've heard me say a lot around here that pride is the source of all sin. We know that Satan was thrown out of heaven because of pride, and he uses his sin against us as the basis of all sin. It's the sin of pride. He was so full of pride that he allowed his pride to lead him to failure. Complete and absolute failure. And that's what it says in verse 10. As his father was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party at Timnah, as was custom for the elite young men. So I just want to just kind of help us to understand how this has to do with pride. So if you think about it, I want it, I deserve it, I can handle it. Vow, do not partake of anything from a grapevine. Notice what he's doing. He's throwing a party, and this party in tradition is a seven-day drunken feast. So basically what he's doing here is he's saying, I'm going to engage myself in seven days of drinking fruit of the vine. I'm going to drink wine. I'm going to get drunk for seven solid days. Set himself into a stupor for an entire week. Now, even if he could excuse and say, oh, you know, when I went off and I went into the vineyard, I didn't eat, I didn't drink, I didn't touch anything in the vineyard. He blatantly breaks the vow now. So now we see that he has for sure broken both vows, I, and he's done it with this premise. I want it, I deserve it, I can handle it. I can handle it. So the guy that wasn't supposed to even go near a vineyard is now throwing a kegger. So that's what we have going on here. So you can just see how far he's gone down the pathway and how close he is now to a serious downfall. He's already eaten the, the honey from a dead lion, and now he gets drunk. The only vow he hasn't broken is the vow to cut his hair. And if you know Samson's story, this is where the movie was made from, okay? It's about a woman named Delilah, and we're going to look at that on the last week where he actually broke his final vow had his weakest moment, and God's grace reigned in his weakest moment. So I want it lust, I deserve it entitlement, I can handle it pride. Now, pride is such a huge deal, and I this, you know, came across this poem this week. Many of you know Beth Moore. Beth Moore is kind of like the women's guru for Bible study and teaching. Um, she's had a great run of teaching women directly from God's word about the Bible. Well, she wrote a poem, it's called Pride. And I just thought it fits so well today. Here it is. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. 
I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you are too full of you to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you are wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out of a window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I convinced you to seek your own. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untruth. I am looking to make a fool out of you. God has so much for you. I admit that, but don't worry. If you stick with me, you'll never know. The damage and the promise of pride. And Samson struggled with, I can handle it. And folks, I think that's why God hates pride so much. In fact, James chapter 6 says that God opposes the proud. He stands against the proud. But it also says he pours out grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So what I'd like you to do now is I'm going to ask you to do some work. And I'm going to ask you to read the rest of Judges 14 into 15. Okay, And you're going to read it. Samson did amazing things. There's a part in one story where he kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. There's a story where he takes he catches 300 foxes. I can't imagine how hard this 300 foxes. Ties their tails together, puts a burning uh, torch between the, t- the two foxes, turns them loose, and they run through fields and burn down all the fields of the Philistines. It's just amazing. He does one amazing feat after another. But here's the deal. Here's what I want us to get before we talk about the right kind of attitudes to have, or we want us to grasp this before we go on. Samson was gifted. It says the spirit of God came upon him. He was gifted to perform supernatural acts. He just wasn't committed to supernatural character development. Supernatural acts, supernatural gifts, lack of supernatural character change and development, holiness and righteousness. Samson was empowered by the Spirit. He had the Spirit giving him power, but Samson wasn't controlled by the Spirit. He didn't allow the Spirit to control him. See, God blessed him with great strength, great talent, great influence, and great potential. But Samson abused the power he was given, and he refused to let God's spirit lead his life and transform him from the inside out. And I just want you to know, Samson's story is sobering, and Samson's story is tragic. And what I want every man to hear me say today as we get to this point, your story does not have to be like Samson's story does not have to be. I want you to know that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that God has planted his 
the seeds of supernatural greatness and transformation in you. You have supernatural potential with God's power in you. You can be the man God has made you to be. You can be the man God's called you to be. He's gifted you with strength. He's gifted you with talent. He's gifted you with influence. In fact, he's gifted every one of us who are followers of Christ with talent and influence and potential. If we will let him lead our lives. If we will allow him to transform us. So those are the attitudes that caused him to lead to a downfall. Cause us to lead to downfall as well. What are the attitudes that would help us to avert a downfall? Well, I'm going to give you three before we wrap up. Really quickly, three things. The first is to say, instead of I want it, I want God. Instead of I want it, I want God. And this is the attitude of surrender. The attitude of surrender. Yesterday we had... Our men's breakfast, uh, amazing breakfast, by the way. Uh, and as we were you know, here together, a bunch of guys, Dan Fox, our men's leader, was speaking, gave a great, great talk uh, for guys. And one part, he was talking about surrender. And uh, as he was talking about pride, he was talking about surrender. And he said this. He says, and I love this. It was a great picture for me. It was actually very inspiring because it comes from a positive slant. He said this, spiritual surrender. Oftentimes we hear the word surrender, we're thinking, oh me, I've got to give up everything, it's going to be so hard, how can I do this, I'm surrendering my everything, I'm just not going to have any person anymore. But he says this, spiritual surrender means to move over to the winning side. Spiritual surrender is to move over to the winning side. I can be on the losing side all I want, but if I'm willing to surrender to God, I move over to the winning side. Paul says it this way. He says, think about things of heaven, not things of earth. And he's saying that don't give in to the desires of your flesh. Don't give in to the lust of flesh. Don't give in to what your minds want and demand. Instead, give in to what God declares, what God calls from you. And God says, I want holiness, and I want righteousness, and I want strong character. Build on strong character. And so here's the deal. The greatness of a man, and I'll say to a greatness of a woman, is in direct proportion to the measure of his or her surrender to God. That's how you, the greatness of a man, the greatness of a woman, is in direct proportion to the measure of his or her surrender. When we stop playing God, God then redirects our appetite in healthy ways so that his power then flows through us. And we begin to change, and we begin to act differently, we begin to react differently, we begin to love differently, we become people who are different in that way. So our cravings begin to change. Okay, so that's the first attitude. Second is this, strong men say, I deserve nothing. Weak men say, I deserve this. Strong men say, I deserve nothing. So instead of living with this attitude of entitlement, we live with an attitude of gratitude. See, according to the Bible, test your Bible knowledge here. According to the Bible in Romans 6, 23, what is the only thing we deserve? Somebody said it. Death. It's the only thing we deserve. We absolutely, the only thing we deserve is death, according to the Bible. Anything else is grace. 
Anything else is God's love. Any, God is the giver of all good things. James wrote this in James 1.17. He says this, Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. Do you know what strong men say a lot? Strong men say thank you a lot. I just want you to ask right now, do a little check. How often do you say thank you, guys? How often do you express gratitude? Not just to the people around you, but to God for what God has given you. Strong men, the word thank you rolls off the tongue easily because their hearts are full of gratitude, because they realize they deserve nothing, that everything is a gift of God's grace. So I want God's surrender. I had deserved nothing, gratitude. Number three, I rely on God, humility. I rely on God, humility. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. He will lift you up in honor. So strong men say, I want God. I deserve nothing. I rely, rely on God. That's what strong men say. Men who are heading for a downfall say, I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. Guys, which one do you want to be? So Samson reached a point in his life. You're going to read about this as you go through 14, you go through 15, all the way to the very end of chapter 15, and I'm going to close with this. Verses 18 to 20, it says this, Samson had a battle, and it says he was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, you've accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? So God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi, and Samson was revived as he drank. Then he named that place. This is, what, this is where you're going to see Samson's attitude right now. Here's his attitude. He named the place the spring of the one who cried out. Samson has declared that he's no longer the guy who can handle everything he's the guy who can't handle anything and he cries out to god at the point of his deepest deepest need and it still is in lehi to this day and then notice this samson judged israel for 20 years during the period when the philistines dominated the land 20 years so most of samson's story happens when he's about 19 or 20 20 years 20 years he has of peace, 20 years he has of contentment, 20 years. Two weeks from now, we're going to look at what happened at the end of 20 years. Because even though Samson turned himself to God, he didn't fully give in. And so at the end of 20 years, Samson fell again. And as Samson fell again, Samson walked into the moment of God's greatest grace as his last failure. Samson cries out to God, and God met his deepest need. So I'm going to close with this thought, guys. Some of you probably heard of D.L. Moody, very famous evangelist uh, in the you know, last century. Huge impact uh, in our world. Well, he was asked by a friend, Henry Varley, and Henry Varley asked him this question. And so let's put it up here on the screens. Made this statement to him. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in 
the man who was fully and wholly consecrated to him. Moody heard the statement, and this was his response. I will try by my utmost to be that man. God is looking for men who, like Moody, would say, I will be that man. By God's grace, by God's supernatural strength, I will be that man. He's looking for men and he's looking for women who would say this, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Place of humility. Let's pray together. So just remember, the enemy loves to take strong men and make them weak. God loves to take weak, humble men and lift them up. And that's what he wants to do in you today. God, I just come before you now. And Lord, I just, I just want to focus on the three attitudes that will uh, lead us to spiritual empowerment as well as spiritual life change, character development. We want you, God. We surrender to you. And I know that there are people in the room that you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. That would be your first act of surrender. Saying yes to what Jesus came to give and offer when he died on the cross for you. And you would, if you want it today, if you want to surrender to Jesus, you would say, Jesus, as much as I understand it, I believe that you are God. I believe you died on the cross for me. You paid for my sin. You made it possible for me to be in relationship with a holy God. I receive you now as my forgiver. And I ask you to be my leader. I want to follow you for the rest of my days. I want to be your disciple, your apprentice. Just say the word, Jesus. And I'll do it. God, I pray for those in the room who right now are feeling regret because they've made decisions like Samson. And there's some that right now the accusers in their mind and their heart telling them that they just can't wait to get out of here because God doesn't want them. And I just want to just refute that as a lie and just ask right now, Father, for those who may be feeling that, that they would understand and know that, God, that your grace is available for every person here. There's no one outside of the limits of your grace. And that they would receive your grace today. And they would realize that today is the day that I'm pursuing my great potential. No longer going to pursue life my way. For every one of us, God, that we come to that place. Then we would say, God, we want to thank you for your awesome gifts. Thank you for all you've done and all you continue to do. And God, you're in charge. You're in control. We surrender our lives to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.